friends! Welcome to episode 97 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Um, I will say, to be perfectly honest, it's been a tough, like, seven days. Yeah. Just weird. Yeah. Like, emotionally weird for me. Uh, that's about the best I can say for it, so, uh... I've been handling it okay, though. Yeah. Spoon, and it's time for therapy, so. Sp- spoons, have, spoons have been a little low. A little bit. A little but, bit. Uh, but uh, we, we manage. We move. We move on. Yeah. Oh, the weather's picking up here. It is beautiful. In in in, in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, she. It has gone full heat wave for whatever reason. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, practically spring, early summer weather right yeah. now. Yeah. Walking outside and, and taking out the trash was not a frozen, bundle up moment. It's windy as all heck, though. It, it is a bit windy. Uh, but, you know, such things always come. Uh, but, you know, hey, at least that's looking up for us. Yeah. And we have a full freaking show to oh talk my about. God, yeah. Holy gosh. So do you remember um, uh, several months ago, um, maybe may even been almost a full year ago. Could uh, have been. That, uh, I, I mentioned that, that Sean and I were playing uh, Ghosts of Tsushima on, yeah. on PlayStation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and we were having an absolute blast with that. Name. It's a beautiful game, really. It really, really is, really is. Um, the whole uh, feudal Japan, um, uh, you know, samurai drama sort of thing going on. A samurai action game. And a yeah. Kurosawa feel, 100%. Absolutely. In fact, it has a Kurosawa mode where you can turn it black and white with oh, film grain. That's beautiful. Put on the Japanese subtitles. That's and wonderful. Just, you know, that's wonderful. It is. It's great. Um, but the whole the whole time we're, we're, um, we're playing this game, we're thinking like, man, this would, this would make a badass... Uh, role playing game, mm-hmm. and little in the, in did the, you know. Well, no, we we knew, right. we knew, just, but we, we none of us had experience with it, um, uh, and we we just kept thinking like, you know, Legend of the Five Rings is a thing. It is, and we we actually we took a little time to look into it at that time, um, but uh, then we started kind of we we just kind of put it on the back burner because then mm-hmm. the pandemic hit, yep. you know, real real full core yep. and stuff like that. So, um, you know, getting getting together to game and especially introducing a new game to people, um, mm-hmm. it just felt like it was out of scope and we yeah. didn't really know a great way of of uh you know getting getting a game of that going um turns out foundry actually has a module for it um so you know there's there's that so you could definitely play it online if you have foundry vgt and i'm sure uh roll 20 probably has a has oh a module i'm willing for to it. bet they yeah, do willing to bet they do they have they have lots and lots of games on roll 20 um it's but had a history, though. We, uh, yeah, but but we we got we got looking into it, and uh, now that we're doing the system spotlight on it, we really started a deep dive. It, man, this is a cool game. Mm-hmm. Had no idea how deep this rabbit hole went, though. Yeah, uh, I, I see that you've you've stepped up and actually picked up this lovely, lovely book. Yeah, I uh, went to the local game store, uh, picked up The Legend of the Five Rings 5th um, uh, edition mm-hmm. by Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, now, it was originally actually published by um, Alderac Entertainment Group, AEG, yeah. back in 1995. Uh, this is the same people who produced yep. 7th C, your favorite game. It, it was, it was. Uh, in fact, written um, by, amongst other people, John Wick, not the John Wick, just AEG. John Wick, yeah, um, who was responsible for penning a lot of the Seven C stuff, yeah, um, the original stuff, yep. And yep. you can you can kind of tell in the the little bit of the rules and, and a little bit of the gameplay and stuff like that that it does definitely does have similar origins. Now this one, the new version of this, which I think what are they referring it to basically is like their fifth edition, the current edition, mm-hmm. um, is actually Max Brook and Katrina Ostrander mm-hmm. who, who wrote this. So keep in mind, this is not necessarily. If for those of you who are Legend of the Five Rings fans, we are not saying that it is literally just an upgrade of John Wick's work. Right, right, right. It is, right, right. It is kind of not a complete rewrite either. It is a wonderful blend of history and current, yeah. I think. Yeah. Much like uh, much of the, um, I, I will say in many ways, it parallels Shadowrun in its builds. Yeah, I would say it's it's been it's been through a lot. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of real storied past. I mean, like I said, it was originally published in 1995 by AEG. Mm-hmm. Um they were publishing it alongside a card game of the same name, Legend of the Five Rings. Mm-hmm. So it was a collectible card game, very much like Magic the Gathering. In fact, it predated Magic yes. in a lot of ways. It was one of the very first um, large-scale collectible card games. Um, they actually branched the tabletop RPG off into um, its own kind of publishing group called FRPG uh, Five Rings Publishing Group. Right. Um, now, eventually, in 2000... I'm sorry, in ni- uh, 1997, two years later... FRPG was purchased by Wizards of the Coast. Ah, yes. Um, and then 
Wizards of the Coast was published was was picked up by Hasbro. Right. Um, now, luckily, they left their hands off of it essentially, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so it was still more or less published under the same. You know, it was very, very the, the the product was very recognizable. It didn't go through the, a lot the of setting. Like really didn't make any changes, but upgrades, mm-hmm. which is beautiful. I mean, that's that's something that you can't say for a lot of settings in the world. I mean, look at how many times we've had minor transitions in D anD D over the years that turned into major changes. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's um, whole events like the spell plague and stuff like that the, yeah, you know, the, the... that shifted things. Mm-hmm. And but this kind of just kept slowly growing and evolving. Evolving, yeah. Yeah. Um 2001 uh they released the Oriental Adventures uh book for D&D 3rd edition. Um now that was actually a re um uh, an upgraded version of what used to be the Oriental Adventures book right. for D and D. Right. Um, but what they did was since they had the license mm-hmm. for Rokugan, which is the the world that L five yes. R takes place in, um, they took the Karatur um world that used to be their Oriental Adventures world mm-hmm. and replaced that with Rokugan. It's, it was a very well designed world. It was it was an extraordinarily well designed world, but I, I remember at the time because I picked up the Oriental Adventures book and I didn't know anything about Legend of the Five Rings. But I remember a lot of people who did know about it at the time looking mm-hmm. at this Oriental Adventures book and going, This isn't Rokugan. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like Legend of the Five Rings. Mm-hmm. And I remember I remember kind of thinking at the time like you guys are a bunch of snobs, but like now that I'm looking at Legend of the Five Rings, I get exactly what they were saying. Well, I mean, imagine if you would have taken Ravenloft as a D and D module and threw it into the setting of Vampire the Masquerade. Mm-hmm. It would be almost unrecognizable. It would be. It I would mean, be. you'd recognize the names of the characters, but the I way mean, they reacted to things, the I mean, motivations, vampires. Yeah, but what is this? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So uh, that went on for a little bit. Um, AEG continued to publish the card game this whole time, mm-hmm. um, and FRPG continued to publish the the, the, the tabletop game. Um, in 2015, AEG sold the rights for Legend of the Five Rings, both games, the card game and the tabletop game, to Fantasy Flight. Mm-hmm. And that's where it resides right now. Um, 2017, uh, Fantasy Flight released the living card game, mm-hmm. which was not compatible with the old card game. Right. Um, it's a completely different animal, but it is still a five rings card game. Um, and they released that at Gen Con. And then in 2018, they followed it up with fifth edition L5R, mm-hmm. uh, our tabletop RPG, which is sitting right next to me right now. But they carried over a lot of the, the art from the card game, mm-hmm. which has kept this beautiful theme going. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's really, really beautiful artwork. Well, we'll have a whole discussion about the card game and, oh, and its in, in its influence. So we, we talked about the, the storied past of it, but I, I kind of want to get into, like, what the game is. There's a lot to get into, so we should get started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we st- I, started, I started researching this over the weekend mm-hmm. and watching just back-to-back-to-back videos on it and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. I'm really glad that I got that head start on it so I can... Because mm-hmm. we're not going to scratch the surface of L5R tonight. No, it was like eating a four-pound block of cheese. You fell in love with it, then made love to it, and now you're slightly regretting how deep you're into it. Okay, well, I don't know what you do with blocks of cheese <laughs> in your free time. Uh, that's fine with me, though. You haven't been introduced to the right block of cheese. That's fair. That's actually fair. I've fed you some wonderful cheese over the years. You, you have. You but have I only it. give it to you in small amounts because I'm a good dealer. This man has his own, his own cheesemonger. I okay, do. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. It's so worth it. Uh, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Make it dark. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Legend of the Five Rings is set in Rokugan. Yes. Um, which is basically a fictitious land based largely, though not entirely, on feudal Japan. Feels very much like it. Very um, much so. Uh, also has uh, some sprinklings of influences from China, Korea, Mongolia. There's a lot of history. It covers a If you're a, a Japan-Chinese historian... You can very clearly see the years if that they're grabbing. If you're a weeb, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. there are. I, I I know there are a few out there. I, I one of my cousins would chew this apart and and love every moment of going through and saying, "Oh, this is from this point in history, and this is from this point in history, and oh, this yeah. is from this," yeah. and it covers this whole imperial time span. You yeah, know, I, time span. So, spent a handful of months in Japan as an exchange student in high school. That's right, so, you did. Yeah. Uh, so this is when I tell you this is right up my alley, and mm-hmm. like I, I badly need someone mm-hmm. to run this for us. Yeah, like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not kidding, man. Yeah, I'm, there might be money involved. Kind I'm, of thing. <laughs> I'm already hip deep in this, and yeah, no, I, I'll like, I'll pay for paraphernalia. That's mm-hmm. fine. I'll, I'll buy books for people. Mm-hmm. I don't care. 
Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give someone this book right here, sitting right next to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so it's very low fantasy, though. Um, so very much like like Seven C before it. Um, you do have fantasy elements in there. Yes, but they're they're subtle. Um, magic is subtle. Uh, you've got these priests called Shugenja, mm-hmm. which are. I guess their closest analog would be like D and D clerics, sure. But like without the bang and bluster of D and D clerics, um, there are the, the the gods, the kami, mm-hmm. are present in the world. Nobody denies their their existence or anything like that. Um, their 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 influence is definitely felt um, in all sorts of little things. And the shugenja are just people who are a little bit closer to them and can communicate with them a little clearer. Not quite so much in language. Um, but uh, through works and through prayers and stuff like that can bring about some pretty interesting effects that other that other mortal people cannot. Uh, and then lurking in the shadows, um, and especially in the shadow lands themselves, which is basically a uh, hell-torn wasteland mm-hmm. beyond the southern wall right. uh, that the Crab Clan guards, um, are fantasy elements like undead, spirits demons oni mm-hmm. demons yeah but they the the part of it is also the way that they see death and believe in reincarnation and eventually getting out of that cycle uh-huh they becoming something more than that cycle being being if you will rewarded with being outside of it yep and that's it's interesting that that that's part of the balance that makes the game and makes the people well, it's one of the big reasons why they're, I mean, aside from just the fact that it's a bunch of evil stuff trying to get into Rokugan. Right. Um, it's one of the big reasons why they try to fight back the taint of the of, of, of the Shadowlands is because if your soul is tainted, it can't be reincarnated. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't go back into the cycle. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of systems will pit faiths against faith mm-hmm. or counter them. In this case, it's more along the lines of there's, you have multiple layers of faith. You have your belief in your ancestors. Yep. You had the ones that have ascended have made their name and moved on, mm-hmm. if you will. You have your belief in the gods themselves. The fortunes, they call them. Yeah. And yep. then you have your faith in yourself to a degree. Which is it's it's almost like a a reskinned Confucian Taoist philosophy. Yes. Um and so but all yeah, all three of those faiths kind of uh, uh coexist all within the game system. And within each individual at yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's really intriguing. I mean, it, it's it, in that itself, it makes for an exceptionally different world than most fantasies present because it is highly complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the other the other major elements is uh, the clans, and so there are seven clans in here. Now, I know anybody here who's ever touched a Vampire the Masquerade book is now going, "Oh God, this this thing has clans." Um, but uh, it's I don't think they're quite you know it's not, it's not really the same thing. Um, Every clan kind of has their own uh, role in society, and you know, um, I suppose their 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 focus. Um, for instance, like the Crab Clan, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is the ones that patrol the Southern Wall and essentially act as the guardians, keeping the uh, minions of the Shadowlands, basically as Mordor, yeah, um, on their side of the wall, the Great Wall, if you will, uh, the, the Great Wall. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> The Crane Clan are all, like, uh, courtiers and artisans of the highest degree. Um, the Lion Clan is essentially the, like, the standing military. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phoenix Clan has a lot of Shugenja in it. They're very spiritual people. Mm-hmm. Um, the Scorpion Clan are very underhanded and do the dirty work for the th- for the Empire's throne. Unscrupulous. Unsc- they're they're, they're going to be the first ones to get their hands dirty and yeah. say that Bushido gets in the way of getting the job done. Yeah. Um... And uh, even like the Unicorn Clan that was uh, actually spent time outside of Rokugan for a while and picked up a bunch of foreigner influences. Which they try and bring in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and each one of these clans kind of has their, I mean, there's obviously inter-clan politics. Of course. Like sometimes, you know, clan the Crane Clan will try to screw over the Phoenix Clan, the Phoenix Clan will try to screw over the Scorpion Clan, vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the point of the game, Mm-mm. you know. Um you're going to create an eclectic group of different people from different clans and different backgrounds who all serve the same daimyo, the same mm-hmm. the same lord, mm-hmm. and will and that's kind of where your adventuring group comes from. So you're going to yep. get like an eclectic group of people together like that, um, and bring all of your own different strengths and weaknesses and outlooks and whatnot. 
Uh, and it's definitely not, like, the point to harm the other clans. Like, you don't win anything for, you know, for, 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 for clan combat, essentially. Um, at its heart, this is a Bushido simulator. I've heard it referred to that a lot. A lot. Almost everyone uses that term. Um, which is, if you're unfamiliar with the Bushido code and just uh, I guess I, I could use the term lifestyle in and I, I, I think I'd be scratching the surface at a extreme view. Well, I mean you could break break down the word. Um so you've you've heard of judo. Yep. The the uh I think it's the the way of peaceful resolution or something like that. There's um Aikido, mm-hmm. the way of using your key. Eido. Um Eido yeah. which is uh the, the the way of sword drawing. Do means way. The way of. Yep. Okay. Bushi means warrior. Just Bushi do means the way of the warrior. Right. Um, and it's basically the honor code that the samurai go by. Um, and when we say samurai, now all of your characters are samurai. Mm-hmm. Okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're Bushi. Right. There are different types of samurai. Samurai is a social class mm-hmm. um, of people that are above the protectors of the peasantry. Mm-hmm. But they're below the daimyos and like higher lords and stuff that serve the emperor directly. Not necessarily ranked, but classed. Right. And in fact, samurai means one who serves. Right. Um, and service is the motto that sits around all of the things within this game. It is. It is. So um, there is a focus very heavily on Bushido, mm-hmm. um, on your glory, your honor, and your status are stats that you're going to be paying apt attention to. Um, a lot of things you do will win you or possibly lose you honor or glory. Status is a little harder to change. Um, yeah. But uh, it's kind of your your station amidst other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'll have to defer to people of higher status and you'll uh, you'd be able to uh, have people of lower status defer to you. Um, all these things are large, based largely on like the clan you come from, the family within that clan, mm-hmm. what your school of study is, whether you're a bushi, a warrior, mm-hmm. uh, a shugenja, a priest, maybe an artisan, yeah. maybe a courtier, mm-hmm. uh, or depending on your upbringing, if you're like a scorpion clan, someone or another, you might be shinobi, a ninja. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and all of these things come with certain standings. Mm-hmm. And then as game as the game goes on, it's going to be a large focus on your uh, uh, doing duty to your to your lord mm-hmm. to bring him honor, to bring you honor. Yep. Um, and at this point, when I was uh, following along and uh, <laughs> following some of the materials that you had dug through, uh, some of which are amazing, we're going to get some links up for you guys on those if you want to get a little bit more into this and, and follow it in more detail. I got a strong feeling that it felt it reminded me a lot of vampire, early vampire, mm-hmm. where you had clans, you had a prince, you had social structure, you had all of these elements that were there to make this rich world that were also part of what your character did and how you followed those things, who you had to follow under, mm-hmm. what things you had to listen to. And at the same time, the struggle within yourself of how far do I go to to raise myself and right. to be noticed and that was a huge thing, was just to get noticed. And then the game throws in one more piece, and I go, that feels just like Vampire. You're talking about Ninja and Giri. Correct. And oh. just holding composure. Yeah. And and being able to say, I have this duty to what I have to do on a daily basis. You have your Giri, yep. your service to your lord. And then you have the your inner goal. Your, your ninjo, your passion, yeah. your your inner desires. So you, you might be like, I follow this, I have to follow my, you know, um, uh, daimyo, and, and, and do as they say and direct these troops in this way, regardless of my own personal feelings, to say that one day I need to be him because he doesn't know how to lead these people. But mm-hmm. until that day, I will do the best I can yep. for him and make a better example. Now, those are where things kind of can align, but it doesn't mean that makes for a good samurai. And the best stories come from conflict. Oh, yeah. If you look back at like Kurosawa and all mm-hmm. that, like a lot of those classic samurai tales 
have to do with conflict between your ninjo, your inner desires of who you are as a person, as a human being, mm-hmm. and your giri, your duty to your lord. Yeah. You're in your lord asking you to do something that defies your nature as a person. Yep. But because you're a samurai, you're one who serves, you have no choice but to go against that and the, and the, and the strife that that causes within you, mm-hmm. the inner conflict. And that's a whole game mechanic in and of itself. A, an important game mechanic. A very important game mechanic. Um, because as a, you know, as a samurai, you are technically a lesser noble class. You are um, supposed to keep your composure and be, you know, solid and, and grounded and together at all times. And so um, there is a system called composure. And you will gain strife points uh, throughout the, the play as things kind of add up and take a toll on your psyche. Um, confronting your anxieties, being told to do something that is against your ninja, um, or just sometimes somebody egging you on in court mm-hmm. um, can all add strife. And if your strife ever... it's Think of strife like hit points for your psyche mm-hmm. and your composure being your hit point total. Mm-hmm. If you ever gain more strife than your composure... You are compromised, and you start yet yeah, that mask starts slipping. And there's literally a question to ask: What happens when you break composure? Yeah. What 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 about you breaks? And I think back to the the Kurosawa films and some of the other pieces where you see these these very stoic f- warriors mm-hmm. facing off, making passes, doing things, and one of them slowly breaks down, and eventually just starts throwing his own men at the other individual not even fighting man to man but using every underhanded method because they are literally either fearful or enraged or whatever and you literally watch their composure melt until no one has respect for them around them Mm -hmm. they realize they are no longer in control of themselves yeah they've lost their way yep absolutely and that's that's a big part of the game and being being unmasked is what they call it where you have a uh Uh, you know, a, a, a breakdown where you mm-hmm. like literally just chew someone out, or yep. you uh, you you flee the scene either because you just need to excuse yourself because you're so enraged, or honestly, like out of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, if, especially mm-hmm. if it's like a combat scene, you may just turn tail and run. Um, which, needless to say, may hit your honor or your glory score if you're seen doing that. Um. So yeah, there's there's a lot of uh a lot of focus on the um emotional side mm-hmm. of you know, you would you would think like originally you'd think like oh this is a samurai game of course there's just gonna be a lot of hack and slash because the first thing you think with samurai is mm-hmm. swords swords yep. and armor yep cool looking armor yeah um but it's really not no like only about a third of the classes in the game are are warrior classes in any way whatsoever mm-hmm. there's a lot of courtiers artisans there's only and a couple shinobi classes but you know Knox makes a good point mm-hmm. of uh, what if his character were to suck at that and not be very good at composure and 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 handling those situations? Honestly, a lot of great Kurosawa films have those characters. They yeah. have characters. They have youthful characters who are trying to become a samurai, and or may have just become one effectively, yeah. but really yeah. are not. And they are learning from someone else to become one and just really suck. At, at holding composure. Well, it's true, and but but also there are. I mean, you got to consider that not every samurai is built the same. Um, like going through the descriptions of the clans and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. The crab clan actually really grabbed me mm-hmm. uh, because, like I said, they're the defenders of the wall. Basically, they stand on the the southern wall between the Shadowlands and Rokugan, mm-hmm. and they face horrible crap every day. Um. If y'all have seen the movie uh, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson's character, Crab Clan. Yep. You want him on that wall. You, you need, need him. him on that wall. <laughs> Deep down in places you don't like to talk about at parties. You know? yeah, exactly. His, uh, his existence, while grotesque to you, saves lives. And that's that's exactly the Crab Clan outlook is – they can kind of get away with almost tossing a lot of the niceties out the like it'll get excused. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, he's just you know, of course he's being a, he's being a jerk. He's he's crab clan, you know. Yeah. But but of course he's being a jerk because he sees horrible crap the every day, and he doesn't like see the value in courtly politics. I don't have time for that shit. When there are oni 
on the other side of that wall, Mm -hmm. you know? He just doesn't have patience for it. He doesn't see the value in it. And so, yeah, sure, you might have a character that does suck at that, but depending on where your character's from and what your character does, people might just be like, oh, you... And that's that's as far as it would go. Whereas, like a crane clan person who is a, who is like the courtier cr- mm-hmm. clan, the 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 clan that stands at the left hand of the emperor and knows all the courtly politics of the imperial palace. Oh, they do that crap? No, 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 stricken down. Yeah, you will never get invited to a party ever again. And we're not saying that composure means failure. You lose composure, oh, yeah. you fail. Yeah. It just moves the story in another direction right right and that's that's one of the other things too is that um like it it even says when you lose your composure to um move the story uh forward so for instance you might um your 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 lord might might be saying okay well we're gonna we're gonna muster all thousands of our troops and we're gonna attack the enemy at dawn and you know that they're they're walking into a trap and that all those soldiers are gonna get killed and so you might this might cause a lot of strife for you. You might lose your composure and unmask mm-hmm. and yell at your daimyo mm-hmm. and say, "This is the stupidest damn thing you have ever done. You're going to get every single one of them killed." And I, you know, I, I don't know what the, what the heck you're thinking. And of course, you're yelling at your daimyo. That's a huge hit to your status. Mm-hmm. But your daimyo may scold you for it and say, "It was wrong of you to address me in mm-hmm. such a way in front of my men." But I think you're right. Yep. You know, you because unmasking allows you to defy the social norms. Mm-hmm. You get to say the thing that nobody wanted to say to him. Mm-hmm. And you might take a status hit for it, but it also changes the story. Yep. You can also affect his outlook. Exactly. Yeah, that that was what makes good story. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, One of the other, the other big things, too, I mean, aside from all the honor and the glory and the composure and stuff like that, though, is um, even just the core stats. Mm-hmm. Well, it's where the rings come from. Yep. Uh, so we're all used to um, strength, intelligence, constitution, those being the stats that physically outline the parameters of your actual character. We don't have those in L5R. Nope. Earth. Air. Water. Fire and void. Void. The five rings. Yeah, it's it's a different way of presenting the hero. Um, and one of the big reasons why they say they do this is because each of these five rings represents something more esoteric. Mm-hmm. Earth represents your your groundedness, mm-hmm. your your realism, your your stability, mm-hmm. your ability to kind of just look at things in a very realistic manner. Mm-hmm. Um, air is kind of your creativity, your cleverness, mm-hmm. um, possibly even your deceit mm-hmm. or, or your manipulativeness. Um, things like that. Uh, fire is more like your force of emotion and your ability to evoke that emotion in others. Yep. Um, water is... Your ability to adapt to situations and be open to possibilities and get the broad view of things. Right. And void is very much your spirituality, your oneness with the universe, where you look at things purely objectively and without any sort of emotion or uh, or other influence like that. And when so when you're affecting things, unlike looking to say, is this a strength check? Is this a, a dex check? You're not doing that with a skill. You're basically saying, how am I approaching handling this skill and that in mechanics changes it a lot but gives you a better definition of how your character is looking at the situation Mm -hmm. for instance if i'm going to get through a a a gate i can go through that gate any number of ways Mm -hmm. i can use fire and say i'm going to passionately attack it you know I'm, I'm going to vigorously assault it i'm going to somehow do 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 away with the with the gate basically mm-hmm. whereas i could also say i'm going to stealth my way through this situation i'm going to sure. wait till guards come through and join them as if i'm one of them okay that would be an air Correct. plus stealth check or whatever yeah and it's it's up to you how you handle that approach and i think that's a neat way of doing it it removes the physicality and the challenges that a character might come across physically and brings it back to a heroic sense mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if i'm scrawny and thin it doesn't matter if i'm you know mountainous and voluminous with the right approach you can conquer i can do anything yes. i can be cunning as a giant mountainous man mm-hmm. 
I can just as easily be strong as a as a wiry wispy person and have the same force. And it, and it really that really leans a lot into a lot of the um uh the cinematic um uh you know Asian experience, especially a lot of a lot of like the the the, the Japanese stuff, but also you know kind of taking that like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, a lot of the the, the Chinese cinema and stuff of like mm-hmm. that too, where um you'll have the small frail uh you know old woman. With yeah. a willowy little, you know, willowy, willowy little staff or something like that, and you're like, <laughs> you see the big bruiser coming in at her, and she just kind of goes, huh, "Okay." Uh, all and, I can think of is like Kung Fu Hustle and yeah, some of the joke and movies. Just hands but... his butt to him because yeah. because she's got better technique. Yeah, he comes at it with brute force, and she just you know runs circles around him essentially, yeah. lays him out, blows smoke in his face. It's you know, because she's got four in her air ring, you yeah. know, and or water <laughs> ring or whatever, and and he's just rocking a two in his earth and just trying to lean into that you know and she's just out outclassing him it's all about your it's all about your approach um in what i it really shifts focus away from that might versus might damage versus hp style um right from the bat because it doesn't even offer you the ability to conceptualize things that way you will never find a strength score no matter how hard you look for it Earth doesn't even equate to strength. Like, it's just, it just doesn't, you know? Um, and so it forces you out of that mindset if you're going to play this game. Now, that's not the only thing here. Like, in 7th C, it was uh, about reaching a target number. Right. Uh, and in uh, Vampire, they used uh, numbers on the dice to try and do that. Mm-hmm. This game does away with numbers altogether. <laughs> right. So There's still a count... That's still important. A count of successes, but the count is is much lower for for the success rate. A TN of a standard challenge is like an easy challenge is a one. Mm-hmm. A, a, a medium challenge is a two, and a hard challenge is a three. And then after that, it's gets up to exceptional. Yeah, like you know, eight is like legendary. How how you know? did you get well over this kind of a thing? Right, right. So, but you're also not looking at the numbers anymore. You're looking at new symbols on the dice, right? And so, totally different dice. What Fantasy Flight loves doing is making uh, <laughs> making you buy more dice. <laughs> making you buy more dice. Um, yeah, and well, well, I'm sure we'll discuss this a lot more too when we get to our our our, uh, our Star Wars. Um, oh Lord, uh, uh, system spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this comes with a batch of special. Uh, dice. There are six-sided dice called ring dice. Yes. And there are 12-sided dice called skill dice. So, what you will do for any check is the the basis of any check is going to be rolling a number of six-sided dice equal to the ring that corresponds to your approach. Yep. So, in Rob's earlier example, are we going to sneak past the gate? Okay, that sounds like an air approach. Mm -hmm. So, Rob's going to take his air ring, Mm -hmm. which might be two, Mm -hmm. okay? So, he's going to grab two of those ring dice, the six-sided ones, and then we're going to say, okay, well, what do you have in an appropriate stealth skill? Yep. Um, And I'm probably getting this wrong, so I apologize to any L5R veterans out there. I don't know if there is a proper stealth skill or if it's... Um, what, what, or what it's called, because I don't let's, know the game Let's say well the shadow skill or something like that. Sure. Um, so you're going to roll air plus shadow. Mm-hmm. In 12-sided dice. In 12-sided dice. So you're going to roll a mix of sixes and twelves. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to keep a number of dice. It doesn't matter if those are the sixes or the twelves, but a total number of, of dice equal to your ring that you used for that approach. So in this case, we said his air ring was two. Was two so he's going to keep two of the possible, say, four or five dice that hit the table. Um, dice have they don't these ones don't have numbers on them. They've got symbols. So you're going to have like a circle symbol for success, um, and those are the ones that you're going to be counting up. You want to get a whole number of successes that beats the threshold. Uh, dices can also have um, what's called an explosive success which means that you will then re-roll that die if you choose to keep it, and um, you will add whatever uh, uh, comes up there. So you can actually get more successes than dice if you roll lucky enough. Uh, You may show dice with blanks on them. They just do nothing. You may show dice with what are called opportunities. Opportunities are a little weird. Mm -hmm. Um, They offer you... Extra options. Yep. So, for instance, um, I'm 
I'm trying to think of a good opportunity. Like, you may learn something about your opponent. 7C did a good job of this in 2nd edition mm-hmm. with presenting opportunities. So you may have a challenge. For instance, uh, there's a guy running through a room. You need to catch him, mm-hmm. right? So your your objective is to catch him. Now, there's some challenges in the room. It's on fire, and there's other guys fighting you in the room. Yeah. Opportunities also might mean he dropped something. Mm-hmm. You've got an option to pick up the notes that he that are falling out of his hands as he's running through you might also have the opportunity to uh to seal him in the room with you as part of the scene Mm -hmm. so all of those become options if you win in this case with opportunities it is a presentation that i believe uh, is a negotiation between you and the storyteller obviously a storyteller can present these things but the idea is is that maybe you throw an opportunity out there that is not directly involved with the task Mm -hmm. So, yeah, um, and there, there's a there's a whole uh, thing in the back for like suggested opportunities. Mm-hmm. It helps that are good, but and then uh, uh, things like um, advantages and disadvantages will also add in possible opportunities for you. Certain skills will add opportunities at at, at, at places. Um, so there are, uh, uh, it's it's kind of a a vague system, but it allows for a lot of flexibility in how the storytelling happens, and you get to choose what dice you keep. Right. Which is really different than most systems. Now, the the last thing that will show up on the dice is strife. Mm-hmm. And this is where, actually, you get most of your strife, um, at least uh, on, on the day-to-day. Yeah. Uh, without without something exceptional in the story happening, mm-hmm. um, and so you may pick up a pick up a few strife here and there, but you only keep you only get the strife on the uh, like you're only affected by the dice you keep. Mm-hmm. So you might roll a bunch of dice with strife on them, but if you don't keep any of them, you don't get any of it. At the same time, you may want those strife dice. You may want sure. a situation to present itself. Well, because strife is usually paired up with opportunity or explosive success. Correct. There there are successes that are just by themselves. There are opportunities that are just by themselves on that dice. But practically guaranteed, if you hit a explosive success, it also comes with strife. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some choices to yeah. be made. I would say people who focus on dice for odds are going to find this game to be leaning toward heroic or, mm-hmm. or cinematic and definitely leaning into challenge ratings is that the more dice you roll and ke- the more dice you keep out of your roll... Mm, especially the explosive ones, the more chance that you have more strife to hit the table. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that you're 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 wanting to have yourself roll more dice, but at the same time, you're not always keeping all of them, right? Because right. you may not want to push that envelope. Now, one of the things that I really like though about the dice situation, though, is I mean, we, we talk a lot about um, how we dislike binary success and failure. Very much so. Now, this game does, to be fair, have binary success and failure in the tasks. It, it does. outright says if you do not hit the target number, you fail at the task. Right. But with the strife and with this, the opportunities mixed into it, though, it allows you for a neat combination of success with consequences, mm-hmm. success with opportunity, failure with opportunity, mm-hmm. failure with consequences. I love failure with consequence and fail with the opportunity. There's yeah. nothing that says that you get your ass handed to you and you get to steal the keys. There was a there's a, a great example um, that I read where uh, like you give a you 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 find out information that there are like bandits that are going to attack your daimyo as he's traveling from point A to point B, and you give him a passionate speech trying to um, dissuade him from taking the trip mm-hmm. as to keep him safe, and you fail. Mm-hmm. But you got an opportunity on that roll, so your daimyo may say, "Rob, you're." Your heart is always in the right place. Thank you so much for looking up my for my well-being. But you take things too seriously, man. I'm going to go on the trip anyways. Yeah. But why don't you come with me? Why don't you join me? And I can show you how safe it really is. Yeah. You need a relaxing time. We're going to my family's cabin. Yeah. Join me. Exactly. So now, originally you weren't going to go with him, but now you're there with your lord so you can protect him, but he's still going to be in danger. Right. Um. So really good ways that you can move the story just around in... in, in a very wide variety of die rolls that can come out of this. We still have four more pages that you've written here. <laughs> I told you we're not we're not scratching the surface. Not even remotely. This um, is beautiful. At the same time, it's a huge game. But 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 there really is. I mean, it, it would it would take all night. Um, I kind of want to get. 
I think we've done a good job of giving like an overview of the game mechanics. And and we will definitely throw links out there for you guys to watch some very, very good videos that describe it mm-hmm. uh, and highly recommend going to review it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're already interested in what we've been talking about, dig into that part of it. But, but we talked a bit about earlier about the living history of this game. Yeah. How it started off with a collectible card game and how in 1995 and how it's been going ever since. Yeah. Um, to which I compared it a lot to Shadowrun in that sense that the history just kept building. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's but, honestly beautiful. But I need you to understand that the collectible card game and to a smaller extent the tabletop role-playing game has actually altered the history, the in-game mm-hmm. history of the game. Like uh, the way that uh, Warhammer used to do their grand battles and keep the history changing. Exactly. I loved that exactly about Warhammer. Exactly like that. Um, and so they would do the same thing with their with their collectible card games um, at like various tournaments and stuff like that. How those card games played out would alter the story for the next chapter, essentially, of the game. Um, there's a great video uh, by uh, Matt Colville. Um, who's a, a big, big, bigwig storyteller. He's got a, a lot of a lot of followers. Um, great YouTube channel. He does these monologues um, uh, all all about running the game and such like that and de- different literary techniques and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, has a, uh, a video he calls The Greatest Story in Gaming, Legend of the Five Rings. Um, we'll definitely post a link to that. Um, where he talks about this card that okay. he got at, at this gaming convention. It might have even been Gen Con. Mm-hmm. Um Evil cl- uh, 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 this card was an evil clone of Doji Haturi, the clan, uh, cra- the crane. I can't say this. Crane, crane clan. clan. I keep saying clan cran. Um, champion duelist. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, like the false Haturi is what it's called. Okay. And uh, he shows the text on the card, mm-hmm. and it says something about how he's a scorpion clan samurai. Um, is won't can't group with Crane Clan, mm-hmm. um, and counts as the egg of Panku for uniqueness purpose. Okay, and you're like, what does that even mean? So he goes through and breaks it down for you. So what happened was, in a tournament mm-hmm. the previous season, mm-hmm. um, somebody was playing a Crane Clan deck, mm-hmm. and they had played Doji Haturi, the Crane Clan champion who's a master duelist mm-hmm. essentially they just they just win in duels mm-hmm. straight up they kick everybody else's butts um and this scorpion clan player was losing so they played this card called the egg of panku panku is a dragon okay and the egg essentially duplicates any unique card Ooh. and created a evil clone of doji haturi <laughs> nice and went on to win the tournament Oh, so they made a card. So they made a card of the false Hattori. Nice. That represents. So that is why it is a Scorpion Clan yep. um, character, won't group with Crane Clan, mm-hmm. and counts as the Egg of Panku, because it's essentially a used Egg of Panku right. when you bring this character out. And then in the fiction behind all of this, um, when they progress the story, uh, the this false Hattori went out into the world and started doing evil acts, dishonorable acts, in Doji Haturi's name. Nice. And actually the Crane Clan, like, fell from grace for a while. Ooh. Because of this, because of all the horrible things that everybody saw Doji Haturi doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's just one little plot off of a quick, like, three cards, essentially, that interact with with one another. But but that's literally the, the, the... If you will, the gods, the writers, yeah, looking to the players and creating these worlds exactly. together, exactly. And I love that. I love that exactly. And so, I mean, we've got we're talking about a game that has been doing that since 1995. We're talking 25 years of this stuff going on. You know? Okay, so I have to ask, what does it actually do well? All right, so. L5R is a Bushido simulator. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to step you away from all the typical attributes, HP, combat-style play, um, and proposes a more cinematic... Narrative, almost. Heroic, esoteric narrative game for mm-hmm. you. Um, it greatly encourages nonviolent approaches, because mm-hmm. um, it's not a tactical game. Mm-mm. You know, there's no there's no grid. Everything is very theater of the mind's eye. Mm-hmm. It's got some optional rules for that, but honestly, I wouldn't use them. Yeah, I mean, there's mass combat rules in there too, 
but I think they're designed more toward the narrative and the the thematic, uh, the thematic and cinematic look. Exactly, and 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 thusly, because it's not a tactical game, because it's not a combat based game like something like D and D is, you can play very effectively as an artisan or or courtier Mm -hmm. or a monk. Um, just as much as a Bushi or a Shugenja or a Shinobi. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that it has unique dice yes. because you're not playing dice games. You know, everybody's not playing craps. Right, right. Everybody's not playing, I need to roll the highest dice on these and kiss these dice this way. And you're not crunching th- numbers. No, and the dice are all unique, which is e- even kind of more cool about that because mm-hmm. you're playing with six-siders and 12-siders. You and know. like we mentioned earlier, op- allows for opportunities and consequences amidst the success or failure mechanic. While you're picking up your choices, you're making an active decision once fate hits the table. Exactly. That's cool. Uh, for me, mm-hmm. uh, as someone who who is a little bit of a, a, a Japanophile, I suppose, mm-hmm. um, scratches that itch for a Japanese game. Mm-hmm. Um, almost all of our fantasy games out there are Western European influenced. It's very common. And uh, this one is the... I would say probably the grandfather and the greatest of the Japanese uh, Asian Oriental style games. Fair enough. Um, and I would say it's it's not a cut and dry us versus them setting. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of gray area and intrigue to explore from multiple different angles in this between clan politics, um, the the uh, uh you know honor uh to your, your of your giri to your mm-hmm. to your uh, uh daimyo and stuff like that like. There's a lot of things to explore that aren't just me versus them conflict. Yeah. And I, I think as far as some of the stuff that I've seen that I would put as challenging or, or that it doesn't do well is staring at it as a as someone who's never played it, who only has references. And I've got pretty good references around it, as you were saying, you know, whether it's, you know, Vampire or Seventh Sea or any of that. It is still a lot to put together mm-hmm. and keep in your mind as a storyteller. Um, and I think that could put off as from a storyteller's perspective, it could be very challenging to try and grab your hand around the Bushido code, trying to impress that upon the players early enough that yeah. their characters fit into that mold and follow that within the world. You don't the murder hobos are not allowed, right? right that right, is right, not right. going to happen in this game. And I, I think, you know, getting, getting into what it does not do well, um, you know, that that's probably the first and foremost thing I'm going to mention is that it, it, uh, it requires your players to understand a complex society that is not our own. Um, I mean, unless you really grew up, um, you know, possibly in a Japanese household or something like that, you probably don't have a firm grasp of, 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 of anything like that, like, like the Bushido code and, and whatnot. It's, um, typically, I'm speak, speaking as a, a Westerner, speaking as a, someone of Polish European descent, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's very foreign. Yeah. Um, and especially if you grew up on D and D with the murder hobo mentality and stuff like that, thinking in terms of honor, thinking in terms of duty yeah. and courtly politics and, and things like that is, um, it's a step away and it requires some buy-in from your players. It, I don't think this is a game you get to be lazy about, you know? No. And I, I think if you're, if you're trying to find a lazy way into this story, I think you're failing at what the what the setting really sits at what the core of the setting is and therefore you you don't really move into it it's it would be like trying to you know uh make discworld as a setting serious you're you're losing the value of what it is it is meant to be tongue in cheek whereas you know just as much as trying to make tune into a a, a serious game you're never going to do it or to make uh vampire the masquerade into a tactical game you're you're losing the core of what the story is about mm-hmm. um and you really should evaluate that because you're not going to have a good time in this game playing outside of the box because some of your players are going to play it very seriously and play into that and the people who aren't are going to be obvious mm-hmm. and That's it's cool. going to feel off-putting. Yeah. Um, the rules do feel a little clunky, but I think that's a lot to do with it. It's different. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of that, but there are some things that, um, uh, through some of the research I was doing that there are a lot of like house rules that people suggest because there are, um, some pretty mainstream rules that maybe are worded funny, or make reference to um, uh, other rules that aren't really fleshed out. 
uh, or just outright are clunky in their execution. Um, like, you know, social, social combat Mm -hmm. is a thing that's strictly defined in here, but like it follows an initiative order and stuff like that. And it's like, why do we need to roll initiative to talk? That's a fine question. You know, so there's, there are, there, there are, are some rules in there that may leave you scratching your head a little bit and may require a little bit of flexibility in how you adjudicate them or maybe how you house rule them. Yeah. And to, it, to fit your play style. Yeah. And it's because it's not a hack and slash game. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to be, who are going to look at this and go, Ooh, it's samurai and, and quick fights and duels. Great. That'll make, that'll make the hack and slash parts of my game go very quickly. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's not that at all. You're not you're not going to get that. You're going to get cinematic moments, but it's more along the lines of they have a 20-minute fight in their head. Yeah. And your player's talking about, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? Well, is he a better fighter than you are? He is a greater master than I am, but he may not be a better fighter than I am. Mm-hmm. And that's the conversation that's going to happen at your, happen at your table for 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, and maybe that's the kind of thing that you want to have happen, but I don't necessarily know if it feels... If it's going to scratch the itch of the players who want to pull out a katana or a daikatana and and use it and and cut through a room like John Wick, yeah. I mean, if if you're if you're looking to hack and slash your way through things, I don't think this is the right game for you. But like, if you are seriously into the samurai aesthetic and you you know you really do want to like explore, you know, the people behind the swords and and you know have those moments of you know do a, is this a time for war or is this a time for restraint moments where that tension is dramatic and means something to the flow of the story then i think yeah. this is a great game for you excellent so yeah. uh, i think that kind of wraps it for L5R it does but not for our show even mm-hmm. though we're at an hour we're going to go a little later tonight cuz we have an extra piece that we wanted to throw in here too yeah I mean, we we've, we've got some questions but uh we also have we have this something a little extra. Um, one of our Patreon members, uh, Hulavu, posted something on our Discord a little earlier today. And so uh, we would like to take just a brief moment to address this on, on, uh, on, uh, on the air. We would like to take a moment to remember his fallen character, Quentin Daniels. Quentin Daniels, the happy-go-lucky Asimar, sorcerer, paladin was carried away into eternity on the wings of a harpy. Even though he had abandoned his training as a paladin of the Rose to pursue his natural abilities in magic, he lived his life by a simple motto. Do a good turn daily. He was loyal to his party, fighting fiercely at the Battle of Crosa of Hills to restore a fallen comrade from the brink of death. The 60 gold he spent buying a cape of billowing was amongst the best gold ever spent in the elemental plane. Some said the cape narrated his his thoughts. Others swore it was sentient. Everyone knew it was his companion. Ambushed by harpies, Quentin valiantly fought to break the charm binding his friends. At one hit point, he was able to deal over 100 points of damage to his adversaries, saving his company and crew of the ship he was on. As his crumpled body hit the deck, his last words were to a deckhand. Sorry about the mess. Quentin, you were funny. Sometimes because you enjoyed making others laugh, and sometimes because you lacked the social skills to communicate your thoughts. You were thoughtful, using your skills and abilities to strike maximum damage into your opponent's hearts. I will miss the many ways that you made that cape billow. Who knew a cape could billow like a storm was approaching, foreboding ill omens and a resolve to face your fate? You are gone, but not forgotten. We will always pour one out for you. Here's to you, Quentin. Here's to you, Quentin. So, if you have players in your game and characters that die, that have passed on, perhaps even retired... Feel free to submit them to us. We will definitely read them here because we think it's worth it. These are people that we grow to love. Absolutely. That are part of our games that sometimes are with us for decades. Mm-hmm. And they deserve the respect that they've created and the home that they've built in our hearts. They absolutely do. Let us know if you want us to eulogize one of your characters. Here, here. So, on to Discord questions. Discord questions. All right. So, Knox has the question, 
how soon in its creation do you plan on a finale to a campaign? (laughs) How do you keep the story from veering too far from it, or do you? If you are planning the finale of your game before your players get there, you're, you're, you're merely writing the end of the adventure. Yeah, and and yeah. you're kind of right, you're novelizing. So yeah. my thought is this. Know what your whole, adve- your the adventure theme of your whole story is. If it's a campaign, you're probably going to do it in an act system mm-hmm. where you have an opening, a mid, and a final. Yes. Realistically, you shouldn't be going too far into your final until your players have gotten to the third act. You may have an idea of roughly what's going on. You're going to want to know where your players are going to end up, but they're going to make changes to the story, especially if they're the active participants. If they are truly the protagonists of the story and they're not just following the world story, yeah, yeah, you're going to have a rough idea of where they're going to end up, but they could change that at any time. You may at the very beginning think, hey, they're going to come back to this guy's castle and they're going to try and take him out before he uh, he starts up the world destruction engine, mm-hmm. right? Where midway through the bridge, they've already figured out a way to destroy that world engine. So now you have to have your backup plan. You know, the plan B. Oh, yes, he actually has a second world-destroying engine, because why build one when you can build two at twice the price? Right, right, right. You know, and so now they have to go to the sea, you know, the island base, and take care of it there. Mm -hmm. So that could change your whole finale. The key is, is that... You know roughly what the scene is when you get to the third act. And that's, for me, how I would do it. Is that I would never write the finale to the campaign until my players have built themselves into the story and have taken their time after the bridge. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think for me, uh, personally, um, I, I don't aim for a finale. What I aim for is the big bad evil guy has goals. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm aiming for. Yep. What is he trying to accomplish? And it might look like the world destruction engine at the end if he accomplishes it. But sure. if the heroes sufficiently get in his way, the finale might not be. They might thwart him long before that ever happens. The final confrontation might be, we're not going to allow you get a, to get a third piece of the destruction engine. Right. You know, Great. he might not ever finish the thing. Right. Might never flip it on, you know? You never know if he's going to be chasing them, if they're going to be chasing him. Yeah. If something's going to be chasing all all of them. And and honestly, um, I might get, and, I, and this has happened several times, where I've had something kind of planned out, like a few games ahead of time, and then the players did something, and I'm like, oh, well, hold on a second. I've got a much better idea now. Exactly. And I just throw everything out, yeah. you know? Be prepared. Scratch the board. Yeah, start absolutely. back over. Absolutely. So yeah, I, I would say I would say you never write the finale to your campaign Mm-mm. until you're writing the last game. Yeah, the, literally the last adventure. Yeah, yeah. So. And then and then you don't have to worry about the, the story veering too far from it. No, let your players walk. Let them let them veer and stray and and, and turn the story where they're going. Yep. And they'll never be off story. Correct. Correct. It's. I would say it is far easier if you're if you're writing a campaign where you're concerned about your players going off in weird directions and not following the plot, then the plot should not be revolving around the players. There should be another protagonist who's running that plot. And that's a lot how game systems, like uh, uh, digital RPGs do it, yeah. is that the players are literally part of a world that the plot's evolved, and they're doing things, but they are not the protagonist in truth. There are other players who are being the the protagonist in those stories that may live or die based upon the actions of the players. Well, there, there's also um, some discussion to be had on the efficacy of plot hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, one of the... I, I, I like the imagery of a plot being a hook, because it allows you to grab the players and drag them in a particular direction. Sure. And so you end up with, um, you know, if, if they are straying off, Sink a plot hook into them and pull them back to yep. the to where you want them. Yeah, you know, um, give them a reason to come back to the plot. Yeah, rather than just saying, "Oh, well, they're wandering around all over the place like a drunk toddler." I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing to say that the players don't show up. You know, like, "Hey, we're just going to go to the beach. Screw mm. this. We're going to get on a boat. We're going to go to the beach. Fine." You find yourself on a beach day. There's a chest at the beach. Ooh, we'll open the chest. Okay. And just play it off as a normal thing that they find at the beach, and it's just another day at the beach. Except in that chest is a bag of holding that holds the third component that your your villain needed. Yep. That was being transported and got screwed off course. 
<laughs> so now they're holding it, and it's a chase. Oh, God, guys, we got a MacGuffin. Oh, no. <laughs> exactly. You picked up the MacGuffin. We don't even know what it is in the we bag. We wanted a vacation, but we got plot. No. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so we've got another one here. All right. So Overwatch asks, in culturally thematic settings, like Legend of the Five Rings, how do you lean into the trappings and the mythos without falling into any unfortunate stereotypes? Ooh. Ooh. That's a good question. Um, I guess it depends on what you're defining as an unfortunate stereotype, first off. I mean, I, I think if you're leaning into the culture, mm-hmm. especially as defined in the book, I think you're fine. Like, keeping in mind, like, I think probably the, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind would be doing, like, doing, like, an accent. Um... Which you probably want to avoid, like doing the, the 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 stereotypical like Asian accent and stuff like that. That can get a little tropey and that can get pretty offensive. But like keeping in mind that everybody is speaking fluent Japanese, why do you need an accent? That's true. That is a very true. I mean, you're talking about personality types and not tropes. Yeah, I think that's the key there. And I think that if you uh, if you want to have your players lean into it in a in a more authentic way, teach them encourage them in the right direction yeah it's no different than if you're trying to encourage people away from arthurian uh fantasy flights and have them be more traditional knights of england you know who were very loyal and you know and and had a lot of infighting between them you know uh you know anytime that you want to lean into more gritty realism Mm mm-hmm help them into that. If they're yeah. leaning into that, for instance, the discussion about Ronan that came up within the chat thread today and what they really mean and what, what they where they are. They're they're not terrible people. That's that's morality talking. These are literally masterless people or masterless, yeah, masterless samurai. Now some of them do turn because they have no master, because they have no duty to a lord, right. turn to mercenary work, turn to banditry maybe to make ends meet. Sure. It happens, but it doesn't happen because they're Ronin. Right. You know? Just because I'm a military contractor doesn't make me a jerk. Right, right. What makes you, me a jerk... You were a jerk before for, you became ex- a Ronin, exactly. and now you have a sword and no master. Exactly. <laughs> and that's, I think, the key there is, is that um, if you're a storyteller, or even another player in a story, and mm-hmm. you see someone stepping into something that is effectively culturalist, mm-hmm. you know, where they're... They're ripping through a culture because they're mixing things that are are already being marred. Mm-hmm. Give them a helping hand out of it. Help yeah. them in an educational way. Don't necessarily gatekeep and be like, "You can't do that because that's not right." Well, I, yeah, I, I would I would start the discussion with like, you know, so uh, your your character's acting in this particular way. Mm-hmm. Could you explain? Can, can, well, explain what are you trying ex- to get explains at? a little more demanding, I think. But like, talk to me a little bit about. Who they Why, are. What your character's motivations for acting that particular way are. Well, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Have you considered what being a member of this clan might be or being from this region of Rokugan might right. might say about your personality? And if, if that is an influence in your life, how do you think your character would react to that? Right. How do you think that would inform how they're acting right now? And do you think that acting in X way is appropriate given your character's stated background and goals? And they might go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I am kind of being a little bit of a jerk. Maybe maybe I should play them this this different way. And I think that one of the things that Legends of the Five Rings really do, does, I should say, does properly, is the questions. Mm-hmm. Those questions really help you make better choices about who your character is and gets into the depths. It's the same thing that was really popular about vampires, that you're not just making a, a brooding goth. Yeah. It's easy to do that in some of the systems, but the older ones... You'd walk through a very long process, and by the end of it, you were a, you weren't just a brooding goth. There was a reason why you were brooding. Yeah, you know, you 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 had psychosis. You you were an artist who couldn't who couldn't reach their pinnacle. You know, or or ended up becoming a vampire. Be, you know, before they were able to complete what they wanted with their humanity, mm-hmm. and that broke them. So so now you have a drive. You have a reason to sit there. You're not just a a, a TV trope doesn't have a reason that doesn't have depth that doesn't have character exactly Exactly. i think that's the key and i think the the book does a great job of fleshing out like the different clans and and whatnot so i think there's there's more than enough um uh material there to look into um really fleshing your character out and avoiding a lot of those stereotypes so 
Yeah. I I made a mistake here. I didn't put next week's topic in. Do you remember what it is? I, I do. Okay. I do. Okay. So next week we're going to be talking uh, a little bit about um, when when you when you flip the script um, when the uh, protagonists when the the characters I should say when the the player characters are not the ones driving the story. Um, having your characters on the back foot, being perhaps pursued by the big bad evil guy. Perhaps your characters are the good guy or are, are the bad guys, and they're being pursued by the good guys. Um, and uh, how you can kind of reverse the, the the typical flow of your adventure and still have a lot of fun with it. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And join us up on our Discord. You can find that link up on our Twitter, our uh, our, our website, storytellerconclave.com. Uh, we hope to see you there. Thanks our, to our Patreon members. All of you make this so much easier, especially our name members, Knox, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Huluvu. Our pre-show music today is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music, Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrogmusic.webly.com. Uh, also on Google Music. The eulogy music today is Long Road Ahead by Kevin McLeod. Uh, you can find that at filmmusic.io slash song uh, Long Road Ahead. Uh, and the license is also available. Our outro music are on- only our footprints in the sand by Midair Machine. Uh, you can find that at soundcloud.com slash machine slash tracks. And a big shout out as always to our families. Vicky thank you. and Sean, thank you so much. We love you for supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years to share all these great stories with you. And you, our listeners. We love you. We love every single one of you. Good night. Good night.